So I've been giving this some careful thought and I think there are seven ways that we waste botulinum toxin. First, we leave it in the bottle. Second, we throw it away in the syringe that we've just used. Third, we squirt it on our patient's face by accident. Fourth, we squirt it into the air, especially when you're not paying for it. Fifth, we inject it where it doesn't actually work. We inject it where it isn't even needed. And lastly, we inject too much where it actually does work. Welcome to the Aesthetics Mastery Show. We are here today, first time in our new studio, in case you didn't notice, it's very different. And I've got lots more exciting stuff coming from this building soon, but I can't tell you about it yet. First, let me tell you a little bit about today's show. Really, this show started for me about 15 years ago when I ordered my first vial of Botox. Oh my God, 156 pounds, I think it was, for a tiny amount that you can't even see in the bottle. Today is about everything I learned about trying to eke as much power as possible out of those tiny little vials to treat as many patients and to get as much bang for my buck because damn, is it expensive. Having said that, however, I've just done a survey on my Instagram and found out that we actually get it pretty cheaply. I'm really sorry about all my American colleagues who are paying over $600 a vial, but this show is gonna help you most of all. So let's dive into all the different ways that you can maximize your bang for your buck with your botulinum toxin. So I've been giving this some careful thought and I think there are seven ways that we waste botulinum toxin. One of the biggest challenges is how do we get the Botox from the vial into here and leave nothing in this vial? This is really tricky. Most people leave something behind, but we need to figure out how to minimize that. If you like to withdraw straight through the plunger with a fresh needle, you almost always will leave a considerable amount inside the vial. Of course, you can get some of this out if you rip the rubber bung out, pop a needle inside, and then withdraw the Botox. But I don't recommend you use that needle to inject because touching the needle on the glass makes it very blunt. I discovered by accident that many injectors do this throughout their whole careers. When I was trained by an expert, who gave me very, very blunt needles to inject with, and I thought there was something wrong with the batch until I realized touching that needle on the glass is really bad for the tip and makes it quite unpleasant for your patient. If you've ever been injected with a Botox needle and had crunching, snap, crackle, and pop as it goes through, that is a blunt needle. Many injectors will say it's just the layers of the skin. It's not if you use a sharp needle. So here's how you get the last drop out of your vial. You obviously need to take the rubber bung off using a pair of pliers or a special decapper. And then you need to look down the side of the label where you can tilt whatever's left towards you to maximize the size of that little meniscus, that little bubble of fluid that is stuck in. We then slide the needle down with the bevel facing towards the glass. I don't really mind if I damage this needle because I'm, going to, I'm not going to inject anyone with it. You should just be able to see it there in that gap on the label. And then I'm going to aspirate every last drop I can get. I may also bend the needle. I can get deeper in and touch that bevel closer to the liquid and then suck up the last drop, come out, and then I am ready to transfer this to something I might actually inject with. Now you can transfer that to a new vial just by injecting through the bung. Or like we do with filler, you can put it into a separate syringe where the needle is still sharp. Now, if you do this, you're gonna have bubbles all over the place. So it's the technique we've already discussed. So we need to give little flicks to get all that liquid down at the bottom before we gently suck up all the little droplets and squeeze the air out. 
Now I really want that bubble to go. I don't know if you saw that, but there's a, there was a bubble there that I drew back. When you draw back, it often will break a bubble and then you don't have to squeeze the bubble up through the syringe and cause waste of your product like that. So we want to flick the bubbles out and then squeeze the air out. Now as you get to the top, if you go really slowly, you will get a little bead that forms and then you can suck that back in so that you don't actually waste it. Second, and more commonly, is the dead space in the top of the syringe. So unless you buy zero dead space needles, which most people are doing these days, you can throw away up to half a unit in the end of your needle. There is a way of getting rid of that. A lot like we do with filler, all you need to do, if it's the same patient, obviously, is that you'd squirt it into the next syringe, a little tiny amount. But the best thing is that it never goes into your syringe in the first place. You end up squirting it all over your patient's face. So this happens because you leave a tiny bubble in the syringe. Now, if you think about what happens with bubbles as you're injecting, especially with the inertia on the rubber bung, that as you compress to inject, you are compressing the gas in that bubble. You do your injection, release the needle, and then as you come out, it decompresses again and squirts Botox all over your patient's face. In fact, up to 50% of it, if it's a big bubble, goes on the surface of the skin, even though it looks like you've compressed it into the skin. This is probably the one of the most subtle ways that people waste a ton of botulinum toxin. Just imagine in a busy clinic, if you're having bubbles in your syringe, how many thousands of pounds or dollars you're basically squirting on the surface of the skin where it doesn't work. The next way that people waste botulinum toxin is something I noticed when I first started training other clinicians. Because they hadn't bought the product, they were unaware of how much it costs. And this might apply to you if you have a clinician in your clinic who you've trained from scratch, who's never filled out the order form and doesn't realize how precious this stuff is. And it's the scene where they're just trying to get everything perfect, couple of flicks, big smile on their face as they squirt many pounds and dollars of value all over the floor. And it's always shocking for the person who knows exactly how much that costs. No, God! Now the way to get around this is you need to leave more dead space in your syringe before you try and get any bubbles out. So we make sure that you've pulled back plenty of room, then you can flick it. And then when you close it up, you're only excreting the air instead of your precious botulinum toxin. Next thing you might find helpful is just to do it really, really slowly as you approach the top, because often you get a little tiny bubble that appears and I don't want that to trickle down. I'll just pull back when I know I've reached that point and then I'm ready to go. The next most common way that we waste botulinum toxin is by wasting it in places where it actually won't cause a clinical effect. Typically, this is things like the aponeurosis in the forehead. We often talk about that in training. Don't inject where there's no muscle. It looks like there could be muscle because sometimes you get a line, but there's actually very little there for you to actually treat. The second is by treating lines that are caused by muscles elsewhere. And you're imagining that the muscle is near the crease and patients often lead clinicians into this. The most common example is probably the orbicularis oculi muscle, which is treated, and then at follow-up, because the zygomatic muscles are still putting pressure through the same area, the clinician injects even more botulinum toxin into the orbicularis oculi muscle, where in fact it's the zygomaticus major that is causing that crease. Another example which I've seen on many forums is double treating the procerus muscle in order to treat a crease which is actually caused by the corrugator. So as you frown, if you have a long crease that goes quite high up into the forehead, Many people are injecting that twice to try and improve it, when in actual fact, it's caused by the corrugators, not by the procerus, which causes a crease across your nose. This is just money down the toilet. On the subject of the procerus, for many, many years in my clinic, I've only injected four units, and 
I can almost not remember a single person coming back requesting more, although many people seem to inject eight or even 10 units into the Proceris. I think this is more than you actually need to get a good result in 99.9% .9 of people. Oh, and there's one more that also fits with overtreatment in areas that are already done, and it's treating the special Botox testing phase. Now, this is something really important to know about. When your patient goes home, to make sure they've got value for money and the result that they're expecting, they will do special faces in the mirror that they will never do in the rest of their life. And guess what? If you contract every muscle possible in your face, you can sometimes get a line or a crease to form that's actually being treated really well with botulinum toxin. This is typical where orbicularis oculi gets recruited as they test their frown. So instead of doing a normal frown, it's this. Everything's closed up and that causes a crease that then gets another top-up done at their follow-up where they're injecting the same area that's already completely relaxed because they're recruiting additional muscles to move skin that's already very well treated. And finally, it's about treating static lines that were never gonna fade with one treatment. Many patients expect every line to disappear after their first treatment, two weeks in, and they'll come back for a follow-up when in actual fact, that line is gonna take months or may not fade at all. The muscle is fully treated, the skin has yet to fully recover, and injecting it again, as I always say to my patients, is like mowing the lawn twice on the same day. It doesn't get you any benefit going over it again. All those receptors have been removed by the first pass of the botulinum toxin, so adding more is a waste of time and money. So in summary, drain your meniscus with zero dead space needle and put it into the next vial or needle. This requires a special technique here. Buy syringes with no dead space. If you use one needle to withdraw and then change it, Put it back into the vial like you might with dermal filler, but only for the same patient. Get bubbles out of the syringe. Don't align your measurements by wasting it. Know your anatomy and physiology. Not all lines are caused by the muscle under the line. The line does not represent the cause of the force. Don't inject every person the same. Here are some areas where I quite often use less than the licensed dose. So orbicularis oculi, especially on the lower inferior aspect, I will use two units more often than I use four units. And quite often at the tail of the eyebrow, two units instead of four units, obviously depending on the patient's anatomy. Next, in the glabella complex, I will quite often not treat the procerus at all because not everyone has a very strong procerus. Sometimes it's almost completely absent. It's also not always needed to treat the entire length of the corrugator supercilii. You can treat very effectively just with three injections in some patients. This can make your dose down to 12 to 16 units instead of 20. Foreheads are highly variable and if you use the licensed dose in every patient, there will be a significant number who are having more than they actually need. Personally, I prefer to use around 12 units on average, but there's a big spectrum and I will use much higher doses in the right patient. One more thing that might help this make sense to you, there's a big difference between America and the USA in terms of how we price our treatments. In the US, they tend to do per patient doses, so you pay per unit, while in the UK, we have a much more socialist system where everything gets averaged out and you pay per area. So some patients are supplementing others, which is really interesting that we've thought of that way while the US have done it much more individualistically. But that may explain some of this. There's a different driving force if you think about it. We're incentivized in the UK to use less because we charge the same no matter what, whereas in the US, the economic incentive is to use more. That's interesting. I wonder if that makes a difference to how much people get. So I really hope that's given you some food for thought on how you can save money on your botulinum toxin treatments with your patients, for your patients, and also uh, stay in touch as we are gonna renovate this whole building in the next few months. We'd love to bring you along on the journey 
There are three massive projects coming up this year, so make sure you're on our mailing list somewhere. Many of these projects might affect clinicians from around the world, and some are very important if you live near me in Manchester, but more on that coming later. Mm -hmm.